Hello and welcome to England Cricket on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I'm Daniel Norcross, TMS commentator. And it doesn't matter today, TMS <laughs> commentator, for reasons that will become apparent very shortly. <laughs> and I'm joined as ever by Rory Dollard, the buff pastry hangman himself, the lead cricket writer of the Press Association, who has been up for hours because of what we're going to talk about today. England Cricket on 99.94 is your new home for England Cricket content, and we will be dropping into your podcast feed and on YouTube or the 99.94 app several times every week. So please do rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Well, I think anybody who's tuning in knows what's happened today, and it is that England have marmalised India in the semi-final of the World T20. We're all still struggling to make sense of it. Rory and I are going to try to by breaking it down to basically three major component parts. How on earth India batted the way they did and England bowled the way they did? How on earth India bowled the way they did and England batted the way they did? (laughs) And what the hell that means for a final against a resurgent Pakistan who no one can understand is actually there, but probably now look like the most dangerous side of the tournament. Rory... What on earth just have we witnessed? A 10-wicket win for England, the highest 10-wicket win, highest score of a 10-wicket win in a World T20 match, smashing the previous record by 18 runs. Must we Must we deconstruct the beauty of a butterfly or the oh, pleasantness oh. of a rainbow? <laughs> um, <laughs> why? Why must we do this? Yes. It was just one of those, yes, we it was one of those things job. that was... Just lovely and delightful, and it's to be uh, poems written about it and and sang about in verse around the campfire um, when climate catastrophe hits. Oh, it was a good day. Over a pint of foaming mead. Yes. (laughs) It was a good day for England. And it was a good day in a way that England often have bad days. Like in in the bad old days of English white ball cricket, there were times when England got themselves into knockout situations and were cruelly exposed as being off the pace and not really warranting their place in that in that setup. We can think of the times off the top of our head. Sri Lanka. Quite a few times. Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka 2011. That's, that, yep. that's the one that it maybe reminded me most of. It was like, oh, we thought we were in this, but we're not even playing the same game. And England were on the other side of that today. They were, they just weren't, they weren't playing, they were on the same pitch, but they weren't playing the same game. It, it's exactly what it felt like. And yet, Obviously, when you're living it there in that atmosphere, because you know in the Adelaide Oval, I cannot tell you what it was like. Fifty-five thousand people, fifty thousand of them were Indian. <laughs> the noise of every run, of every four, of every six, was moderately intimidating. I mean, it made I think everybody <laughs> who is English there think, "Oh God!" And they got just got sixty-eight off the last five. They got they got a hundred and sixty-eight runs. No one can chase 168 runs. But <laughs> if we break down what actually happened, it was what happened in the first 10 overs or the instinct in that first 10 overs when you're commentating, writing, when people were mingling around, as you can imagine, in the press box was, what are they doing, India? What are they doing? They were taking it so carefully. 63 for two, I think, after 10 overs. And was that a function of England's bowling or... How much was that contributed to by Rohit Sharma? When did he try to attack the ball? Hardly ever. 
Um, Virat Kohli, I mean, it's hard to argue with his average and his weight of runs, but but it didn't happen. Is that a way to approach a power play? It didn't kind of make sense. Listen, if England balled really outstanding, and they, balled, they did ball well, but if they'd have balled, if they'd have taken the game by the scruff of the neck in the way that sort of you're asking, was it England's balling or India's batting? They wouldn't have been 63 for two. They'd have been 63 for five because England would have been into them and creating loads of chances and just unplayable. And they would have been trying to fight fire with fire and failing. But it wasn't that. They just they just froze, didn't they? They they, they occupied the crease in a 20-over game. And <laughs> it's been a long time since that has worked in a... In a in an environment and in a setup on a pitch like that, hanging in and being there wasn't going to be enough. And and actually, they did get up to near enough, didn't they? Exactly par of, for for what is expected in Adelaide. It's like I think I think it was one six eight one six nine was identically. It was a it was a little bit lower. It's a little bit lower, but yeah, well, I think one six four. I think was what we were right. You know, told. they basically they basically yeah. got there from a not very promising start, but. From what we saw at the end, you know, th- those par scores or those average scores, they tell a slice of the story. They don't tell the whole story. And actually that score wasn't, it just wasn't going to cut the mustard today. Um, I, I got to come back to that. I, I got to ask though, Rory, though, that how much of that was forced by England's bowling? Because looking at this one from an English cricket point of view, you know, it, it's marvellous if your opponent comes up and basically throws in the towel by not even trying to compete in a modern T20 match for the first 10 overs for reasons that only they can know. But how much were they hampered by the way England bowled? And I ask that question because I do think Rashid and Butler read the conditions really well when he bowled. I think yeah, they understood the dimensions of the pitch, uh, of, the, of, the, of the ground rather, very long straight boundaries, quite short square boundaries. I thought uh, Sam Curran actually until his last over implosion when Hardik Pandya had no choice and and actually is one of the players that India can build around, I think, in the future. Someone who does have a fearless approach and doesn't get why they're patting it about for the first 10 overs. But, uh, you know, he, he, he bowled three splendid overs, I thought. I thought Butler's acuity in recognising the way the Indian batters were playing and going, actually, I could slip another over of Stokes in here and I could get through an over of Livingston that's not going to get hurt was really interesting because he decided he was, you know, Jordan was in there to bowl the death overs, wasn't he? Yeah. And it was smart, wasn't it, that he got Rashid. Now, Rashid was shaping to be the the key bowler from quite an early stage, i.e. before the match started. Um, And, 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 Butler got into Rashid and out of Rashid by the twelfth over. He was he bowled a third mm. of the third of the overs at that point, and he was gone. Well, four, four, he on didn't, well, four on the chop. Yeah, he just got. He bowled the last over of the power play, which was a which was a pretty yeah. uh, brave move from Butler. Yeah, so he he got into it. He's he's really just found his moment, and he looked post match. He did some stuff with TV. He just look. He looks really with it. He looks completely invested and in, in like and he's got the bit between his teeth Rashid and my god that that makes life easier when, when that's the case I thought Livingston got through two overs for 11 that were an absolute Christmas present it was, it was just like he just got through his overs and he was he was in he was out and suddenly India had lost another two overs uh, the fact that Livingston has completely superseded Moin Ali as an option 
is fascinating because Moyne, mm. I don't know, Moyne's been such a such a canny bowler over the years and and has found all kinds of different ways and he's had success against India. Um, but he's he just wasn't he wasn't even in the equation today, was he? And I actually think, listen, loads of people bowl well. Walked bowled really, really well up top. But I think Chris Jordan played nicely. Now his numbers, he's he's come in for Mark Wood. First appearance of the of the tournament, hasn't bowled a lot, has been struggling with injuries since the middle of the hundred, basically, and peripheral at a point where he was maybe in his career where he was expecting to be quite integral. And if Wood's back, in all likelihood, that's his entire job for this tournament, was was what he did today. And I thought, albeit his numbers aren't amazing. He did get three wickets, but he went he went around a bit and, and coughed up a few fours and sixes. But Josh Butler had enough end, you know. Yeah, Josh Butler had enough trust in Chris Jordan, the the only bowler who hadn't been in the tournament, hadn't been in the game, didn't have the numbers behind him. Butler asked him to bowl three overs at the at the death. So inevitably he's going to go for a few. And I actually thought Jordan put a pretty decent hand together and and did land a few exactly where he where he wanted to and, and sort of justified himself. So really India made that par score and I give all of the England attack, every single one of them, a, a passing grade or a, a sort of a, mm. a distinction. They all did they all did well as far as I'm concerned. I mean I do think that uh, Jordan at Adelaide was a really fortunate moment in a way because they would have picked Wood because they felt they had to. But actually, the way Wood bowls is to bowl rapid and short, mm. back of a length. And that would have brought the Indian batters out of their shell because you don't have any other way of playing that than aggressively. And there are short boundaries, square of the wicket, and a, you know, a slice down a third man or wide, wide point, mm. backward point. It's going to carry for six. If somebody's in, they're going to smash it over the short side boundaries. And Jordan is always going to bowl for you fuller. I mean, that's his in, intention in the death. And he's defending longer yeah. boundaries. So in a way, that injury kind of fell into England's hands. But whilst I accept all of that, and I do think England bowl very well, I do want to dwell briefly on India's approach. Are they, are they playing T20 or are they playing like a shortened ODI. And part of the reason I ask this is because, and I dare say, Nick Ishigani and Sarah Warris on their podcast will have asked these sorts of questions. Mm. But I looked around the press box today and I saw a bunch of pretty elderly journalists who are suspicious of risk-taking. And mm-hmm. there is a culture in Indian T20 cricket about, you know, you play yourself in, you set a platform for 10 overs. no. Mm. You set the platform for 10 overs in 50 over cricket. If you've set a platform for 10 overs, half your overs have gone. You've already only got 12 balls per wicket when you yeah, started listen, a 20 over game. You don't need it to be six balls per wicket. I mean, this, this avoidance of risk, <laughs> this terror that a commentator is going to say, well, he's played a terribly risky shot there. Of course he has. It's T20. Mm. And, and it, feels, it feels asked about, it feels asked about tit, this, doesn't it? Because wasn't it? We're, we're sitting here as English T20 pundits sort of trying to give India the biggest T20 market that's, you know, flipped the whole game on its head in pursuit of the T20 gold. And we're saying, you know, this is not how you play it. And it, it feels like going to certain parts of America as a, as a Brit or whatever and telling them that's not how you play R&B. 
<laughs> I'll show you how to play R&B. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah, but you know, but it's but it's also absolutely right. Do you know? In the, in the second half, I'm going to explore that a little bit further when it comes to the bowling. Oh, lovely! Because I think, because I think I might have an answer to India's conundrum, and it may not be one that they necessarily uh, will, will approve of. Uh, we're going to have a short break. After that, we're going to talk about what happened with India's bowling and what happened with India's with England's batting. It was sensational. You're listening to Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. Whatever your team, we have the show for you on podcast, YouTube, or on the 99.94 app. We have India, England, South Africa, West Indies, and now Sri Lanka covered. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM by downloading the 9994 app or Google 99.94 on podcast. We speak cricket. Welcome back. So I just want to pick up on the point I, I've half interrupted, and it is, <laughs> I watched India's bowling today, and yes, England's batting intent was absolutely fantastic. It really was. We'll come on to that, I'm sure. But I watched an Indian attack that would be devastating in Indian conditions. Without doubt, really, really difficult to deal with. Aksha Patel, Ashwin... Shami, Bhuvneshwar Kumar, Hardik Pandya, Arshdeep, what a great bowler he is. These guys play all their 2020 cricket, and you said, they're here a week, I'm telling people how to play 2020 cricket when they're the very apex of it. Their players only play in India. Mm. They don't yeah. get allowed to play anywhere else. They don't get to understand how to adapt to different conditions when playing T20 cricket. England's bowlers, they've played in the Big Bash in Australia, they played in the Pakistan Super League. Hence why they actually performed really well in Pakistan. They played in the Indian Premier League. They played in the Caribbean Premier League. They played in Dubai in T10s. You know, the the experience that you gain as a bowler, how to adapt to different conditions. I saw an Indian attack bowling for Indian conditions on a, not a shirt front, but a, a pretty damn good pitch at Adelaide. They mm. couldn't adapt. And... Hales and Butler just thought, I can't believe this. This is like all my Christmases come at once. Yeah, they didn't look in any doubt, uh, any trouble at any point in those pair, did they? It was, they they set about to win the power play. And I don't know, they won the match in the power play. It was over. It <laughs> You couldn't envisage a way that India were going to get out of dodge there after England put 60, what, 63 or whatever on the, on the board yep. in the power play. It, it, they just settled it. It, 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 and you can do that in T Twenty if you have the sort of the endeavour and the will and the bravery to do that. And England certainly did. It was a real. I mean, it was another great game for Butler. Butler, the captain, has had his best two games back to back. You know, he's just flying here. But this was the one to hang Alex Hales' hat on, and this justifies the recall. It justifies everything, really. It kind of it re this knock in itself, and I know that. To some extent, nothing's won until it's won. But this almost, even whatever happens in the final, this almost reframes Alex Hales' career, I think. Because this was the innings in a match like that against India in a semi-final, everything up for grabs. This was an innings that justifies every question that was ever asked about Alex Hales. Where is he? He should be in. He can still do it. And I've asked tons of them myself. I've asked loads of them. Mm-hmm. 
and wasn't always convinced that he was quite... I wasn't always convinced Hales held the key that some people felt that he did hold. And there he was today, sticking it in the lock, smooth as you like, opening I, the door. I, I, I agree with that. But again, I, I've got to come at it from an English cricket point of view. The next time they play a game of cricket, it's a World Cup final, weather permitting. And they're going to come up against a much more clever bowling attack than that Indian mm. attack. I'm sorry, but... Shine Shah Afridi, Harris Ralph, Mahbub Wazim, Nassim Shah, three spinners. You've got a leggy in Shadab mm. Khan. You've got slow left armor. You've got an offy. Uh, and these are guys who play in other leagues around the world who are adaptable, mm-hmm. unlike that Indian attack. And that Indian attack. And, and most of them have a bit of England in them as well. well. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then they'll played against the English players many times. And, it it sort of was a bizarre revelation. I was watching a, a side that struts magnificently across the world stage as, you know, make the most money, make the biggest noise, have the most fans. Mm. But you don't know how to play the game. And watching Joss Butler... <laughs> Good luck to your Joss Butler bat. Well... I mean, look, they've got many players who do know how to play, and if they've got the right mm. conditions, they're fantastic at it. But they're not given a chance because their authorities don't allow them the opportunity to test themselves in different conditions. When Josh Butler goes to play in the IPL, he has to justify massively being that overseas pro. Now, of course, every Indian who plays in their franchise has to do something similar, but some people are a bit exempt from that. Robert Sharma's mm. been exempt from that. Virat Kohli's been exempt from that. To a degree, KL Rahul is, you know, these are parts of the Indian establishment. Yeah. Whereas but Butler is therefore going to play his game differently. And it's not a massive surprise that Butler's the guy who gets three IPL hundreds. Mm. But you're not seeing an Indian do that. Kohli did it a few years back, but you're not seeing them doing it now. Now, but it, it, it was a stark. It was, it was, it was, I was watching something start. Ravi Papara was on commentary with us, and I had the classic English nervousness at 168 in that mm. first innings, 169 the target. And he said, Dan, they're just, England are going to win this easily. The pitch is fantastic. The ball's not swinging. There's, India have got nothing in their bowling attack to worry England's batting that goes down. Mm. Let's face it, it's even more lengthened especially with Biffers, with Phil Salt coming in at three. Yeah. And it was amply demonstrated, really, today. I I just think, I, with all the with all the attention and the, the bloated schedule of the IPL and the fact that every single match is this, is this fireworks event and this huge occasion, I looked at that team after all these years of the IPL and I thought, is that it? Like... Oh, it was, you know, we're still, they've been, they've been leaning on Kartik in this tournament. Ashwin, like, is still going in T20. Should Ashwin have been moved on in T20? Should they not have been, should the IPL not have been creating enough to, to turf him out of this T20 team at, at this age? The Seamers, I don't know, didn't look as cl- clever uh, as some of them. Now they're beautiful bowlers and they're particularly beautiful red pot bowlers, um, some of those guys. But, they didn't seem to have as many slow balls, as many tricks. It looked a bit mm. pedestrian. And then in terms of England's batting, now Butler said at the end of the match that looking at Adil Rashid at 11 gives him the confidence to go hard because he knows that there's loads of ways out for England. There's loads of ways they can get to where they're getting. I looked at the India 
thing. And 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 like from seven down, they looked a bit thin. Like they actually yeah. they actually managed their resources not too badly in the end. In that none of their real sort of tail enders faced faced balls, and they they got they got through the twenty overs, and maybe that maybe that explains some of their conservatism because actually England had a very mm. modern, flexible, fluid-looking team that had Livingston could bowl a couple of overs. He could also bat at seven, or he could bat at three. Uh, Moeen can go up to three, or he can chuck in an over in the power play. You looked at India's team, and like, all right, they got their top six and they got their bowlers, yeah, and the, it just felt a bit flat. Uh, and I just think yeah. after all these years, it, it should have looked more dynamic than that. I, I agree exactly, and um, I don't know what India are going to do to change that. I think they need to have a complete radical rethink and look at the best players in the IPL. They've got some fantastic players, and they've got to take some mm. risks on people who are going to go hard. But they've also got to develop a culture of punditry that allows their batters to go hard because there's still a degree about of you know playing yourself in in, in yeah. T20. You don't have the chance to do that. And what was fascinating about the way Butler and Hales approached that target, and 169 is a, an awkward target, isn't it? But there was go hard, and then at the end of the power play, there was 63 with that last, and I turned to my pundit, I think at that point it was Ravi Papara, and said, uh, so what do they do here now? He says, well, I think they'll have a little look, maybe like take the next three or four overs to look for sevens. Well, the first over went for 11, the next over after that, they went for 10. Um, it got to a point, I think it was like the 14th over before there was an England over that went for fewer than seven runs, mm. which is preposterous. Uh, you know? also, also, psychologically in this game, England were so much stronger. They looked in control and calm. And listen, it's not that long ago since they lost to Ireland and we were all mm. asking questions about what they were thinking, whatever. But in this game, on this day, India were rattled. In the field, they they didn't you know they had one six eight on the board and they didn't look like they fancied defending it much. Sharma, Rohit Sharma, had a bit of a rotter. He lost control in the field. He he there was double teapots coming out, hands on hips. Mm-hmm. He tried to rally the troops when they had drinks and it just came across like it came across like they were doing the debrief. Not it didn't didn't feel like he was didn't feel like he was rallying the troops to to go turn this around and win it. He felt like he was saying, "Well, we've buggered this one up." Don't know. They didn't. Yep. England were just stronger yep. and calmer. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, there was a moment when um, Mohamed Shami just threw the ball. Like, yeah, did a and bit of relay fielding. There was a ball. There was a, there was an all run four. And yeah, and hard. Instead of being able to like laugh it off, thunder. It did. The only the only man who kept his sort of um, uh, I don't know humour was Arshdeep actually, who mm. still gamely charged in and, and and did what he does. He's a very fine bowler, and and he'll yeah, only but, get but better actu- and better. Actually, Actually, Arshdeep, his first over to Butler, that was a real tone setter. He chucked in a couple of wides. He gave, he gave yeah. Butler width at the start of the innings. Butler hit four, four, uh, three fours in the first over. It was a poor start, actually, from Arshdeep. And it, it allowed England to just... You know, the, the first over is quite important sometimes, isn't it? Because if you get well, away... Well, but, uh, yeah, but I think the first over was bowled by... Well, Arshdeep, no, uh, Arshdeep's first over was trash anyway. It was, yeah. Obviously, <laughs> his first over wasn't great. Yeah. But um, just to pick up on their on their body language, yeah, there was a moment when the ball was whacked away to the boundary, and I think Liam Dawson went and collected it because the fielders just refused to go and, <laughs> go and pick up the ball. So, yeah. you know, Liam Dawson was going, you can have it back now. <laughs> and, 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 fetch that and bowl me another, was sort of yeah. 
was the, was the kind of feeling, and it and it was it was bizarre to watch. I think we won't see an Indian team in a T Twenty World Cup like that again. I think this is going to be their, ironically, that England playing Bangladesh at Adelaide moment in twenty fifteen. I think they're going to look at how they approach the game and the players that they use for it, and decide to have a different T Twenty side. England have a different T Twenty side from mm. their ODI side from their Test side. There's uh, a little bit too much veneration, I think, of some yep. of the big name players, and they have to play in all three formats. And actually, India have got some great T20 players, and they'll come back much, much stronger from this. For England, um, look, they're through to the final, which I suppose at the start of the competition didn't seem remotely outlandish. They were better than Pakistan in Pakistan. They beat Australia very comfortably in Australia, so they ought to have been challenging, but. It didn't really feel like that through the tournament. It felt like a stuttering one, a confused one, especially against Ireland, a timorous one against Afghanistan. They started to find their feet against New Zealand, and now they're going to go to the final. It's time for our final break. And after that, we will be discussing how they go about playing that game against the mighty Pakistan. If you love the language of cricket and want more, then head over to the 99.94 app and you can hear all of our podcasts and cricket commentary. We're adding new shows all the time and covering cricket series from all over the world. Be the first to hear all of our announcements by following us on social media at 9994DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. Welcome back. So Pakistan, who lost to India off the last ball, having actually set them 28 off eight at one point. They should so clearly have won that game. If we think about that match and how Pakistan outplayed India and England outplayed India, Pakistan, they're a very, very good side. And they're a very good side with four very good fast bowlers who are pretty canny. Well, more canny, I'd Mm. say, than the Indian pace attack. They played around the world. They changed their paces magnificently. They changed their angle of delivery. Harris Routh can sometimes bowl a yard and a half behind the crease line. He's a very canny mm. bowler. They've got a leg spinner, they've got a left armour, they've got an off spinner, they've got the lot. They don't have big biffers, but they do have two of the titans of modern day T20 cricket in Baba Azam and Mohamed Rizwan. Do England stand a chance against the destiny, the obvious <laughs> destiny that is that Pakistan, like in 1992, will defeat England in a World Cup in Australia, having been dead and buried. Well, listen, you know you know as well as I know that the England team will be sitting in that dressing room saying, let's do this for Pringle. You know it. <laughs> uh, and... Pringle? No, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Derek. Um, no, I'm sure we'll see a lot about 92, actually. Well, I'm sure we'll see a bit of that, but it probably, probably has less influence on the game than uh, history would, would want you to believe. Do we have a chance? Absolutely, because they just beat them in a series already. Uh, different time, you know, it was ooh, weeks ago now. <laughs> but they know each other real well, these two, because they've, they've been through... A, actually, they played a lot of white ball cricket against each other full stop just recently. Um, and England do have that depth, certainly that middle-order depth, that there is still vulnerability in Pakistan's batting, in that if you get Rizwan and, and Baba early, it's a They've got a they're they're piecing the thing together using Pritstick and 
gaffer tape and they're they're not really there's not a really safe and secure way to put that innings together without one of those two at least anchoring Mm. the thing properly so England know early wickets is the way I think for England's point of view Mark Wood were he to be fit would be huge because of all the teams actually who don't look like they were up for Wood and it's it's a surprise because they've got all these fast Mm. bowlers in the nets but in that series in in Pakistan, their middle order didn't have a clue really about Wood. They looked actively very, they looked very flappable, put it that way. Uh, and I, so I think Wood would Wood will feel like he's got got it over on them, and that he could really do some damage. So his fitness could be a bit of a talking point, sort of right up to the last minute. Um, also, the dimensions, the MCG, they completely suit him. The pace yeah, that he bowls. The only other um, thing is. England's last trip to the MCG is when they lost against Ireland, isn't it? Yes. It, well, it is. So, <laughs> it is. Yeah. They didn't quite. They didn't quite have happy memories uh, there from this tournament. So there is. I don't know, they've got a little bit of rethinking to do on that. Well, actually, you know, you make a strong point there because it's a sort of ground where England's very strong attacking approach could see them unstuck because they, you know, those are big, big boundaries and. Balls that are going for six at the Adelaide Oval are not. They're getting caught at the MCG. Um, and if they can play that style of game, that could be an issue. And we saw the way, for example, Pakistan magnificently adapted to um, conditions at, at Sydney. They they mm. just assessed them brilliantly with the bat, also brilliantly with the ball. I think they're a major threat with the ball. There's, there's a, yeah. I can't think really of a weak link in their bowling attack, particularly who do you target? So they're going to kind of rely on their depth in batting. Still no Milan. So you would imagine that everybody's going to be out to Biff apart from Stokes. That'll be the approach. And Salt salt in a World Cup final having not faced a ball. Well, could be incredible, couldn't it? And Liam Dawson could actually be drafted into the World Cup squad if uh, any other injuries are confirmed and they're out. And having showed off his fielding World Cup against India. But yeah, yeah, it, it is it is interesting. And what England what England will be, will be very aware of is a Freedy's ability to crack the game open from ball one. He 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 no there's nobody more fun in the world, is there? Uh, there's not there's barely a cricketer I would like to watch more than Shaheen Shara Freedy. He's utterly compelling and extraordinarily consistent. You expect when he runs into ball, his first over of the match, a T Twenty match. You expect to see the stumps flying. You really yep. do. You expect it. So that is that is a big one. Yeah, and it, and it's going to be a really, a really fascinating matchup against someone like Alex Hales, who I think does struggle mm. with that line of attack. Um, Butler slightly less so, I think. But yeah, yeah, you would think he'll open up that. down the ground, wouldn't you? But mm. it's boring and it's kind of tedious and disappointing to have to say it but what kind of game is allowed to happen could could be decisive in terms of the weather yep. now the final the final can't be a five over match it has to be a 10 over match um so that's what they'll have to get in if the weather intervenes but 10 over match favors england i think it probably does yeah you know if if they have to re- if they have to take overs out of it because because pakistan's batting strength maybe it dilutes the shorter the innings, whereas England's, if you look at it, Salt at three, Moeen, Livingston, 
maybe they feel like they have more boundaries in them in a short game. So listen, we'd like it to be a 20 over game, but whether there's a lot of decisions, and I feel we could have a lot of chat, a lot of boring cricket chat about umbrellas and third umpire and <laughs> the game shooting itself in the foot. Because there's a reserve why, day, why, why, which means why didn't they have to say, to, well, Why we... didn't they go to the ground with the roof? Why? People will say. <laughs> and everyone will try to point but, out but also, to them that you be, try getting all like... of the stewards <laughs> a pitch. They don't have a pitch there. But you know, do just... you... One of the questions will be, do you get a 10-over game in and kind of weaken the product a little bit? Or do you say, oh, right, let's knock a 10-over game on the head and try again tomorrow and get a full game in? So there is a few weird conversations to be had and I predict it will be unsatisfactory if the weather comes down because it always is in cricket. When the weather gets involved, something always becomes a bit unsatisfactory and that's a shame because it, it could be a super fun match with these two teams. It really could. Uh, well, look, let's let's hope that it is and we will obviously be back with you the moment that it's over. Whenever that might be, it could be Sunday night in Australia it could be Monday night in Australia it may never happen and of course if it doesn't happen England will become the first team to be the holders of both the 50 over title and the 20 T20 title because even though you share it you still hold it that is the way I see it I mean <laughs> isn't that how it goes you, when you share it yeah why not you hold it the unite the crowns yeah. yeah yeah why not sounds fun wouldn't that that might be the best way to do it. But I think probably better than a bowl out in an indoor gym. Although, I'm still slightly <laughs> up for that. Having watched Martin Bicknell once run in off his full <laughs> county run in a bowl out and obviously hit a county race, <laughs> the ball flew way over off stump. Anyway, that's for another day. I'd love to see Mark uh, Wood, uh, I'd love to see Mark Wood attack a ball out at 97 miles an hour. <laughs> <don't know. laughs> it, well, before we leave, one of the most incredible stats I've seen 33 balls Mark Wood has bowled in excess of 150 kilometres an hour in this World Cup. The next nearest, I believe, is Anrik Norkia, who's bowled eight. So, is any wonder he's injured? Yikes. Just, you know, take care of yourself, Mark <laughs> Thank you for listening to England Cricket on 99.94, where we speak cricket every day. Please rate, review, subscribe, wherever you enjoy your podcast. You can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at Norcross Cricket, in my case. And where are you, Rory? At the RVD. I have yet to pay Elon Musk's $8, but I'm still there. I haven't got the blue tick, which is actually a white tick on a blue background. But um, sorry to be yeah. pernickety no. about it. Keep but, the riff yeah, I, I, I never got one. And uh, <laughs> look where I am today. I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, anyway, never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media and follow us at 9994DM. Cricket, every day, your way. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. 
in its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!